Hello, and welcome to a live pop culture on the program with Carrie Smith. I'm one of your hosts, Carrie Smith, and I'm here with my co-host, Mystery Chris. How are you? Good. Howdy, howdy, Carrie. How are you? I'm great. We're, uh, I, you guys, we, we're celebrating because we said we were going to have a party when we hit 10,000 subscribers, and then we hit 11,000 before we could even take a photo of it. And I, I told Mr. Chris he had to wear a party hat and he, he put one in his avatar. And then I, lo and behold, I forgot. So I had to go and last minute find something because my, uh, my costume boxes are still, uh, I haven't unpacked everything. So this is the Wait, best I can do. What's the story behind this, these, this hat with the things? Oh, it's on. not a hat. I just found uh, something that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't in a, <laughs> a costume box that I could use for festivity. It's very yeah. Mardi Gras. Yeah, so we're celebrating, guys. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. I'm. It's it's amazing. I'm really grateful for everyone who's shared the show, left a comment, um, uh, supported uh, financially or otherwise. You know, just letting people know about it. And um, yeah, I'm just really grateful. Thank you, guys. And. And we're doing tonight, tonight for Father's Day, the topic is the dumbing down of dads. And we're specifically going to be looking at two decades. We're going to be looking at the 80s and the 90s and focusing on sitcoms and how they kind of changed the way in which they portrayed fathers. Um, but before we do that, I just have a couple of announcements. We have a new date for book club. Those of you who've been waiting and we keep rescheduling, uh, we finally got a date. We're doing it Sunday, July 17th. And the reason it's so far away is that's the first day my husband can be a part of it. And he wants to he wants to be a part of this one with us. So I want him there. So we're doing Sunday, July 17th. And that book is the Fauci book. Finally, we're talking about the Fauci book. You have time to read it. If you would like to be a part of book club, there is a Facebook group called Deprogram Book Club that you can join. Or you can drop a comment below this video and we'll let you know um, how to be a part of it. And then we also have, oh, welcome to new subscribers, all the new people, welcome. We have, uh, if you do like the show and you wanna help support it, uh, my goal is to eventually uh, make enough money from this show that I can afford to steal Mystery Chris away from his full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a goal in mind and every little bit helps. So thank you, we do have a Patreon and a Locals and a subscribe star and um, Pirate Tomsky put those in the chat. And then the last thing is, I'm so excited. If you're in Dallas, Texas, tomorrow, I'm gonna be at the Friday Night Tights meetup with a bunch of great folks. It's free, you should come. And uh, if you're gonna be there for the whole weekend for Fan Expo, I'll be there too. My friend has a booth, it's uh, Julia Mann, the art of Julia Mann. So come, come find that art booth and say hello. I hope to see some of you guys there. That's it, that's all my announcements. What about you? Um, if you're looking at your screen, you will find me on the right hand side and I'm wearing a festive hat and that's it. Thank you. That's your only announcement. Yeah. <laughs> Are you feeling under the weather? Should we talk I, to you? A little bit. I don't know if it's a cold or uh, COVID. I hate like, now did you have to think about this stuff? It's like, damn, is this, is this a cold or is this COVID? It's like, why can't it just be like normal? And it's like, 
oh, it was just the cold and, and you know, feel guilty about going out and breathing on a bunch of people. But now I'm like, oh, should should I get tested? Should I not breathe on other people? And I said no. So I did. I went out anyway. <laughs> Good. <laughs> you live life like normal. Yeah, but I, I've been I've been drinking a lot of uh Dayquil. So uh if I say anything bad about the Jews, that's not me. It is the Dayquil, the anti-Semitic Dayquil. Not me. Um you guys are going to know a little bit of mystery chris's dark humor where you're like did he just say that uh, oh and oh my goodness thank you oh tjj hundred dollars thank you sir he says for your house remodel i'll make sure to give my husband a cut i'm just kidding <laughs> thank you very much and uh and two sisters and some yarn is here and gives a super chat and says, congrats, Carrie. I love you, honey. I love you. Thank you for all the help, especially with book club. You guys get to know her. She's helping out a lot. Okay. Okay. We're going to, we're going to start. Uh, <laughs> I hope you got some of the Tylenol with coding. <laughs> well, I am black, so you gotta get the coding. <laughs> and then pirate Tomsky says 11 K congrats, Carrie. You've earned it. Thanks. It's been a uh, it's been an interesting few months between launching the new channel and uh, moving, and then all the all the stuff we're trying to do here with getting the house running and um, uh, remodeling this room. This is a temporary room for the podcast. Eventually, we want to have a, a separate like a studio out back, which would be cool because then we could have people come in and have guests like sit with you. It would be great. Um, anyway. I'm rambling. Okay, Mr. Chris, tell me why you wanted to talk about this topic. Well, Father's Day is coming up, and I was thinking of topics we could do that relate to fathers, and something that's been on my mind for a while now is the portrayal of fathers in television, specifically sitcoms, but other TV shows as well, and how a lot, no, no, but a lot of them are being portrayed in a less than flattering manner, you know, being trade as more dumb and uh, goofy and unreliable. And I thought we could talk about it because we, we touched upon it a little bit of it when we did our first episode, when we were talking about uh, censorship in 1990 and we we're talking a bit about Simpsons and married with children and just how controversial those shows were. And as much as I love both of those shows, some of my favorite shows ever, I do think that's when the big swing started to occur in terms of portraying fathers as being kind of dumb and and the butt of the jokes so thought we could talk about it all tonight yeah um some of the studies that we're going to be pulling up and talking about they they seem to confirm what you're saying in fact i was shocked reading some of them that they draw a, a, a very sharp line between the portrayal of fathers uh, prior to the 1980s and then after the 1980s, how it started to change. And maybe we could start with Pirate. Maybe we could start with the, it was the second link I sent you. It's called, it's a study. It's called The Portrayal of Fathers in Popular Media. Okay. This one has a lot in it. So I'll cover a little bit of it. Have you, have you read this one yet? No, I didn't get a chance to read it. I think this is the one I was reading. 
I was reading some of this to you last night. Let's see. Okay, so for anybody that's just listening, the headline here is the portrayal of fathers in popular media. And then it says, at best, television dads are nominal or figurehead leaders of the home, but at worst, they are relegated to the intellectual level of the family pet. <laughs> um, and so uh, let's see. I'm going to skip down to the second paragraph. This, uh, uh, oh, that word, farcical, I always pronounce that wrong. Is that the right way? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like khaki pants. I always yeah. say khaki. I have to catch myself. Okay. Farcical <laughs> portrayal of dads on television has deteriorated to the point that it's not, uh, that to not see the role of men belittled or ridiculed would seem ironic or nostalgic, hearkening back to the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, where father figures were generally portrayed from positions of wisdom and authority. Contrary to this ridiculous portrayal, another extreme is often represented in which men are depicted as being physically aggressive, violent, and power hungry. In the past, however, men on television were generally depicted as leaders, problem solvers, confident, and athletic. Okay. Given this, these observations, this article seeks to answer two main questions. Number one, was the prevalent view of the uh, imbecilic dad common in the early days of television? And what is the impact of the present day portrayal of inept fathers on culture and home life and in the church? We conclude with closing comments on how this trend can begin to be corrected. We will look through the lens of the social sciences, observations on how an individual is influenced by the larger group, and then highlight the particular role a father possesses based upon scriptural principles. If you haven't figured it out yet, this is a Christian site. So it is looking at it through the Christian lens. Um, so, here we go. Historical glance at the image of dad from the 1950s to the 1990s. Now we're not going to dwell, Chris and I are not going to dwell in the 50s and 60s uh, or the 70s. Actually, we want to do a series uh, and at some point come back to this topic and look specifically at the 50s and 60s and 70s and how it's different. But just for a comparison, I'm going to read this part of it. It says, in the book, Fatherless America, David Blankenhorn notes that from 1960 to the 1990s, the percentage of children not living with their biological fathers increased from 17.5% to 36.3%. The U.S. Census of 2010 now states that this percentage has risen to 39.2%. And when this figure is adjusted for those families only living with married biological fathers, the number raises even higher to 41.7%. These figures indicate that our nation is replete with citizens raised quite differently than generations born prior to 1970, in which over 80% of children were raised by their biological fathers. Interestingly, a similar trend can be observed regarding the role of fathers on television during this same period. The relationship of this contemporary social phenomenon and the deterioration of the portrayal of fathers on television is investigated more thoroughly in the following sections. However, before this article explores the social changes due to increasing uh, increasingly fatherless home situations in America, a historical survey of the portrayal of fathers on television is necessary. So they look at the portrayal of fathers in the 1950s through the 70s. And again, we're going to skip over most of this. You can go, we'll put the link to this article below and in the chat, you guys can read over that if you want, but we'll cover that down the road. I'm just going to skip down to when it changed. So it's talking about how things were portrayed then. Let's see. Uh, I'm having trouble finding it. Tell me a joke while I look it up. 
<laughs> uh, I only know like dirty jokes. <laughs> like what? Do one. No. You thought my joke earlier was you're not gonna like this one. Um, wait a minute. Maybe this is not the one I wanted to read from. Is there one you want to pull up while I find mine? Um, this one, I can briefly, it, it's, I think it kind of goes over a little bit of what you uh, were just talking about in that article. And I'm actually, I'm only going to read uh, for short, the very short paragraphs. You don't have to pull it up. Higher. Um, but uh, this article is from the uh, con conversation. Uh, so this woman who is someone who studies television and identity, all that other good stuff. Uh, she did a study and she uh, wrote this article where she said uh, she published her first uh, quantitative study on the depiction of sitcom fathers in 2001, focusing on jokes involving the father. She found out that compared with older sitcoms, dad and more recent sitcoms were the butt of the joke more frequently. Mothers, on the other hand, became less frequent targets of the mockery over time. She viewed this as evidence of increasingly feminist portrayals of women that coincided with their growing presence in the workforce. She goes on and says for their more recent study, uh, she identified 34 top rated family sitcoms that aired from 1980 to 2017 and rank selected two episodes from each. Next, they isolated 578 scenes in which the fathers were involved in. Oh, this is the one. Okay, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, this is the one. Uh, it's in humor, which meant that dads either made fun of another character or made fun of themselves. Then they studied how often sitcom dads were shown together with the kids within these scenes and three key parenting interactions, giving advice, setting rules, or positively or negatively reinforcing their kids' behavior. They wanted to see whether the interaction made the father look humorously foolish, showing poor judgment, being incompetent, or acting childishly. Interestingly, Fathers were shown in fewer parenting situations on more recent sitcoms, and when fathers were parenting, it was depicted as humorously foolish in just over 50% of the relevant scenes in the 2000s and 2010s, compared with 18% in 1980s and 31% in the 1990s sitcoms. Mm -hmm. These are the stats I was looking for, but in a different article. So mm. they found that prior to the 19, uh, they said that the turning point was 1984. And uh, prior to that, the, the husband mocked the wife in a family, in a family show, the husband mocked the wife more than the wife mocked the husband. So I'm not saying that's fair or right. That's just what was happening. And then after 1984, it, it's not that it became an equal mocking. It actually went wildly in the other direction. And so by the late nineties, it was the, the wife mocking the husband like three or four times as often as the husband would mock the wife. So the mm. husband becoming the punchline of the joke, the dad becoming the punchline of the joke uh, became very prevalent starting at about that time. Um, yeah. Some people are in the chat are saying it was nineties. Yeah, um, I think we saw that, like, like, and we'll go through some of these shows. We saw the culmination of all of this in the '90s, but they were arguing that it started in the mid '80s when we started to see this change. 
Yeah, it is interesting, though, when you look at the sitcoms. Um, on a future episode, I think we'll talk about Norman Lear and All in the Family, but when you think about Norman Lear's sitcoms in the 70s, how they approached a lot of political topics, and they kind of portrayed a more uh, realistic family, or a, a family that had more conflict and that was less idealistic. And that was something that didn't really immediately carry over into like the 80s so much because you had a lot of the idyllic families, you know, Cosby Show, um, Growing Pains, um, Family Ties, all those those shows with the interchangeable white families, you know, that I've never ever watched. I can't, <laughs> believe, I can't even believe you would say that. They're so different. You didn't watch Family Ties? That was not no. interchangeable with, with like different strokes. It was so different. <laughs> yeah. Silver spoons? Come on. No, 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 no. Uh but yeah, so you got a lot of those type of uh shows, but you know, I was saying earlier, once the late 80s hit, you start seeing a lot more of these cynical views of not just the family, kind of a cynicism towards the American dream. Because when you look at say, you know, Simpsons or uh Married with Children they it is the american dream like they're still a nuclear family you still have two mm -hmm. parents two kids are still together they have a house they're living in the middle class but in the case of married with children you know al wasn't really happy being in a situation <laughs> and that he was you know wishing that he was single and didn't have kids to support and wasn't at a, a emasculating job and you know you have homer in the simpsons which is just a, he's a dumb man that somehow was able to overachieve you know he's able to get married and have kids in the house and, and works at a job that he's not qualified for so i think you start seeing that not just for families but also the cynicism towards relationships in general you know you can mm -hmm. look at a lot more shows focusing on more single bachelor type lives from friends to you know living single to uh eventually uh what's one of the new shows on cbs how i met your mother or some some show like that that tended to focus more on people who kind of rejected i think the nuclear family yeah so i i would imagine that a lot of this coincides with divorce rates because it's been a while since i looked at a divorce rate chart but i know after it got kind of glamorized in the 1960s and 70s we saw a spike and divorce rates, how that started to go up in the 70s. And I would think that children of these divorce households, that a great deal of that um, view towards relationships would carry over into the things that they produced and believing that uh, these families and uh, the middle-class American dream just isn't worth it. Uh, well, I think some of those rates do correlate as as we found in that that first bit i was reading from that study that the kids living with their biological fathers has declined at the same time that you're seeing this in culture and i did want to highlight something in that first article that we brought up do you mind if i go back and read something from that chris mm -hmm. go ahead okay so i found the piece i was looking for which just reinforces the article you were reading um, but it was it was the sheriff study, right? Uh, 
I don't know if they they may have mentioned the I don't think they mentioned the title uh, study. So the Sharer study, and that's S C H A R R E R, sampled long-running and top-rated domestic sitcoms from 1950 to 1990 and discovered that the quote changing portrayal of father figures went from positions of wisdom and authority to roles in which their sensibility is called into question or mocked through foolish, humorous portrayals. Shows such as I Love Lucy and Honeymooners had a stereotype in which the fathers and husbands were the main breadwinners and source of authority in the home. And although the male figure could be mocked and at times ignored, the problem was resolved with an implied recognition that the man was the final authority. However, this stereotype, so that was one stereotype, right? 50s to the um, 70s. However, this stereotype began to change with the clear demarcation coming around the mid-1980s. During this time, research showed that, quote, domestic comedies after 1984 depicted more dominance and less satisfaction and stability in the family than those shows prior. There were two hypotheses that they set out to investigate. So here are the two things they were testing. Number one, the more recent the program the more foolish the portrayal of the father character. So they wanted to see if that was true. The more recent the program, the more foolish the father. Number two, the second hypothesis was that family-oriented sitcoms featuring working class families will be more likely to portray the father character foolishly than family-oriented sitcoms featuring middle to upper class families. And so then it goes on to say the results affirmed hypothesis one, Okay. There was there was a trend in domestic sitcoms in which fathers were portrayed as foolish. For example, the number of times a mother told a joke at the father's expense increased from 1.8 times per episode in the 1950s to 4.29 times per episode in 1990. Hypothesis two was also confirmed. Sitcoms of working class families portrayed fathers as the quote, butt of the joke more often than shows with families in middle class or upper class families. According to a novel uh, measurement tool, the foolishness of portrayal scale, Scherer found that working class fathers were twice as likely as upper class fathers to be regarded as the butt of the joke. A numerical observation of all the sitcoms showed that in the 1950s, the father made fun of the mother 58 times, while the mother made fun of the father 19 times. Over the course of the next 50 years, each decade saw a change in proportion for parents making fun of the other, ending with 1990, where fathers made fun of mothers 81 times and mothers made fun of fathers 176 times. This indirect relationship mirrors the trend observed in the 50s in a derogatory manner towards fathers. Aside from the type of jesting taking place in these types of shows, this reversal in how fathers were portrayed on television is significant. Shows such as Father Knows Best, Leave It to Beaver, Good Times, or The Cosby Show were replaced with shows like Married with Children, Roseanne, The Simpsons, and That 70s Show. Wise fathers were exchanged for silly dads. Educated fathers were substituted with bumbling fools. I'm going to stop right there. But th this article is excellent. And it, that's not the only study that it highlights, but that seems to reinforce what you were saying, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. It's uh, it's it's crazy. Um, should we go? Should we go through that list we did last night of the shows? Uh, yeah. Uh, see, yeah. Go ahead and pull that up. I was looking through. Well, yeah. we were looking at just uh, a list of the most popular sitcoms in the '80s, like the 30 most popular. 
and then the 30 most popular sitcoms in the 90s. And on the list of the 80s shows, it's like Cosby, Punky Brewster, Different Strokes, Family Ties, Full House, Who's the Boss, Silver Spoons, My Two Dads, Family Matters, Webster, Mr. Belvedere, which Chris also didn't watch, uh, Growing Pains, <laughs> Alf. Alf was on there. I watched Alf. Uh, you didn't watch Alf. And then then look at the top ones, how many how many shows revolved around families. But then if you look at the um, the top sitcoms in the 90s, the top three, the top three are Seinfeld, Friends, Frasier, none of which really revolve around families anyway. And then you get into uh, Home Improvement, Roseanne, Married with Children, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Full House was still kicking in on the list, Family Matters, The Nanny, Blossom, Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> Out of that list, which ones did you watch? Um, Fresh Prince, as you know, we talked about this on our Fresh Prince episode, but Fresh Prince, I, I love that. It's one of my favorite shows from uh, the 90s. Um, didn't watch Seinfeld. Well, I saw a few episodes of Seinfeld. I like Curb, Your Enthusiasm, better. Maybe that's blasphemy. But uh, yeah, I watched basically Fresh Prince of Family Matters. I watched. Um, of the list you of the things you just named your list um outside of that simpsons um news radio shows like that yeah i i always thought it was interesting um how black families in particular were kind of always portrayed in positive i guess since the 80s maybe since like the cosby show mm -hmm. it, it seems to me like a there was a, a people were trying to avoid portraying blacks in any kind of negative way. And so I think they kind of did it as always positive manner that they were being shown on TV. And that kind of got criticism from people on different sides because uh, the Cosby show, you and I were talking about this, um, maybe on a future episode, I'll bring up the article, but there was a salon article that was attacking the Cosby show saying that it was racist because it was portraying a fake view of blacks in America, <laughs> and this person was mad that uh, Cliff Huxtable and Theo Huxtable weren't being pulled over by the police and harassed by white people all the time. <laughs> and I was like, you do know that not all black people are being harassed by white people every single day. I mean, is it not possible just to have a show just with some black people that you know just has you know fun situational comedy and not always you know dealing with some larger societal issue some social justice issue it's like no but yeah since then i i can't really think of too many negative portrayals of blacks and and sitcoms really do you think that's why the 90s ones like fresh prince of bel-air and family matters they didn't have the same kind of cynical approach to the father that you saw in some um, um sitcoms that were mostly white families like married with children or yeah, everybody loves everybody loves Raymond. I didn't watch that crap. I think because yeah. he was, he seemed so, such an idiot. I'm <laughs> gonna offend all the everybody loves Raymond fans. <laughs> all fun. <laughs> all fun. <laughs> but yeah, no, I definitely think, and that's that's what I was thinking because you know, like you said, that cynicism didn't really apply to to black families. You know, most of the portrayals were 
of you know nuclear black families too you know you didn't see a lot of single parent black you know families and shows back then or now really i can't really think of any what do you think about what they're saying about how the if the family was working class on television that they're more likely to be portrayed the father was more likely to be portrayed as ineffectual and bumbling kind of a buffoon mm -hmm. do you think that's accurate uh yeah because uh like the ones they mentioned are the ones that immediately come to mind you know uh, married children roseanne which i guess to be fair i'm trying to remember i didn't see a whole lot of roseanne but i'm trying to remember for the episodes i did see if john goodman's character was portrayed as that bumbling but i think a lot of those working class sitcoms were less idealized certainly and they kind of portrayed a more harsher or, or you know tougher environment uh, that the characters inhibited compared to uh, characters in other you know, other yeah. so um as to why you could think of a number of reasons why maybe i don't know maybe there was a lot of people trying to portray people in that socioeconomic uh level as um people that were failed according to certain people's vision of society but people who are failed by society that that's what you know the conditions they're in and that you know larger society was more at fault for um creating those conditions i don't know i mean i'm thinking about roseanne in particular and i did watch a lot of roseanne and i enjoyed it a lot um he definitely if you were to it, this one was included in the study so presumably they did add up the number of times he was the butt of the joke versus her versus roseanne and i do believe he was probably the butt of the joke more often um and she certainly was the one who held the you know out of the two of them, she was portrayed more often as the one who held everything together. I mean, the show was called Roseanne. It was about her, <laughs> you know? So um, I wouldn't say that his characterization was as bad as something like Homer Simpson, though. He wasn't that much of a useless kind of buffoon. Um, you know, there was more positive than that. But if, if you're going by the standards of things they were looking for, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure that his. I'm sure that the dad in Roseanne was made, made fun of. It sounds about right to me. Uh, made fun of more than she was. And this and, show on too. You know, Roseanne, a part of it. The Connors, it's still going, still on. Did you know? Really, I thought it got canceled. No, I thought it was going to get canceled once they kicked off Roseanne, but no, it just kept going. So I was like, wow. People are willing to watch a show without Rosanna. Okay. Plus, it got, I mean, I, I tried when it first, that's why I thought it got canceled because it was so bad. I've tried to watch the first <laughs> few and it yeah. was so woke. It wasn't the Connors, it was terrible. It wasn't like, it wasn't like the original Rosanna. Really? Because Rosanna is, you know, you know, I know she's a um, Trump supporter and very much on the right. She was on Rogan's show not too long after she got kicked off. And, you know, she she's, kind of conservative or libertarian-ish, I guess. Yeah, but maybe that's why she's not involved with it anymore. Well, yeah, I think that's clear. I'm going to read a part to you. This is specifically about Roseanne. This is from a Washington Times piece, um, and this one is called TV Sitcoms Working Class Fathers Depicted as Bumbling and Incapable Study Finds. And down towards the bottom of this article, um, 
this uh, studies show that even as far back as Fred Flintstone in the Flintstones and Archie Bunker in All in the Family and more recently Homer Simpson in The Simpsons, it is typically the mother, not the father, who knows best in working class families. In the late 1980s, John Goodman's Dan Connor character in the long running sitcom Roseanne finally challenged that depiction. Mr. Goodman's father figure, a drywall contractor married to Roseanne Connor, played by Roseanne Barr, was seen as the, quote, emotional anchor of the family of five. And Roseanne is considered to be the first show, the first to show a successful working class family. OK, so this seems to say it doesn't fit the, the mold. However, in her study, Ms. Trollio found that working class fathers such as Julius Rock in uh, CW's Everybody Hates Chris, Sean Fennerty and the WB's Grounded for Life and Michael Heck in ABC's The Middle were still slightly less likely than the middle class dads to have positive or fun interactions with their children, but more likely to have critical and caustic interactions with their kids. Uh, she says that the positive father stereotypes referred to being successful at work, spending quality time with their children, giving them emotional support and teaching them life lessons. The negative stereotypes included irresponsible, bumbling and immature behaviors and fewer interactions with the child. Another finding from her study was that viewers got different images of fathers based on the networks they were watching. Viewers of ABC, CW and TBS, for instance, were likely to see friendly, fun and child involved dads in shows like My Wife and Kids, Everybody Hates Chris and Tyler Perry's House of Pain. But CBS viewers of shows like Still Standing and Two and a Half Men would see dads who were more likely to say things that made fun of their kids. Getting laughs didn't matter if the comment was critical and caustic, the study said. Um, and then there's more. They go into, in this particular article, they go into a comparison as well between sitcom families that portrayed heterosexual couples versus, uh, versus gay families. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, did you want to, uh, I sent you a news report. I don't know if you want to play it. It's up to you if you want to play that. Um, it's an old CBS news piece. Is this the one in two parts? Yes, correct. Yeah, let's pull up the first part. Yeah. Uh, pirate, uh, I'll put it in the chat if you don't have it. But uh, let's see, how do I... Uh, put this in here. Wait. Oh, while while you're doing that pirate, I'm gonna read. We have some more super chats. Thank you guys for partying with us tonight. Yeah, this is ridiculous. We're wearing party hats because we crossed ten thousand subscribers. We crossed eleven thousand actually. Claybomb says, um, "Congrats." Thank you for the super chat, sir. And Night Train gives us a super chat and says, "Check out Raising Hope." It's all about a family of lovable bumblers that truly love one another. Cloris Leachman plays Mama who suffers from dementia. Oh, a Mama who suffers from dementia. Have you heard of that show? I haven't. No, I haven't. Thank you. Thank you for the suggestion. Okay. Let's see if we can watch this. A divorced father. His troubled daughter. I thought I would leave her with you for the summer. They're about to discover the hardest journey. You've been nothing but trouble and money. You should just let a person do what they want to do. Not if they're 16. Is finding a way back into each other's lives. I'll Aren't you sorry you had me? You have my heart. I love you. 12 Mile Road, CBS Tonight. 
father knows best? Well, if you've been watching any TV of late, you wouldn't think so. Our Father's Day cover story is <laughs> Mitchell. Nell, come on in here and meet Lauren's new friend. She's still in the can? Because my cream's in there and I'm starting to itch. <laughs> so you want me to go to college? College? <laughs> Barbara Clown. Bart! How would you feel <laughs> if you suddenly found out you were adopted and that wasn't your real dad? Dad, don't say that. Unless you're absolutely positive it's true. Don't bother changing the channel. They're everywhere. I can't reach it. Dad, you have to come up another rung. My ears are popping. He's lazy. He's immature. He's stupid. He's a, a marginal at best father. You know, his daughter has no respect for him. Which is why not everybody hey, loves Raymond. Grandma's helping me with my homework. Oh. Want me to help? That's all right, dear. We're working on grandma right now. <laughs> Can I ask you something, Ray? His wife is the one who's smart and makes all the decisions and kind of uh, uh, leads him around. This is what we do. It's called being a parent. Maybe I don't want to be called that. That's the modern dad. Do you think if uh, someone came here from, from another planet and mm -hmm. watched American TV, they would think all dads were doofuses? Absolutely. It would be worse than doofuses. They would think that maybe good child development was overcoming the stupidity of the dad. List your three favorite books and how they've influenced your life. His TV guide book, Dunner Sniglet, Catherine Hepburn to me. Ow! Oh, I stuck. And according to Warren Farrell, author of Father and Child Reunion, this negative image of American dads is beginning to take its toll. There's a tremendous amount of uh, feeling of being like Willie Loman, or, and as, as Rodney Dangerfield would say, you know, I, I don't get no respect. <laughs> <laughs> on this Father's Day, some dads might agree when they hear. Is Father's Day like a big deal at your house? Uh, I mean, Father's Day is not a big deal anywhere. It's the just one of the most underrated holidays That's, of I'm all with you. time. I, mean, I, I agree completely. Comedian Cedric the Entertainer isn't kidding. Hey, have you seen Dewey around? I promised him he could firebomb the Utah. He's doing schoolwork. It was so sweet. He told me this afternoon he's writing a 300-word report about how I'm his hero. Being a dad can be a thankless job. If you don't agree, consider this. More long-distance calls are made on Mother's Day than any other day of the year. The single biggest day for collect calls? You got it. Father's Day. <laughs> it tells you a great deal about dad as well. Oh, oh collect calls. Um, but when we, <laughs> dad, we asked dad to still pay for it. Dads are the most underappreciated resource in the family. And Glenn Sachs, father of two, thinks he knows why. Oh, you got me. Good shot. You know, this continual mocking in our culture, I think it does have an effect. Look how fast that is. So it's kind of encyclopedia-ish. Sachs argues this dad is a doofus image is being sold to America in any number of ways. Yes. Take a look at this Verizon commercial. She's working on a school project. I'm kind of... She's eight years uh, old. Tom, leave her alone. She's already oh smarter goodness. than dad, of course. Tom! She's just like, you know, totally contemptuous of him. And then uh, gives her mother this look like, get this idiot out of here. Welcome to His Side with Glenn Sachs, gender issues from the male perspective. Sachs is fighting back on his nationally syndicated radio show. I said, you know, go to our website and I want you to bombard Verizon 
with protests over this commercial. I want that commercial off the air. Yes, you heard right. He I won that battle. Vendor. Verizon pulled the commercial. But his war goes on. Again, the negative images of men and fathers. I mean, you look at some of these books here. Uh, Dad has bad manners, just like the kids do. And Mom has to scold all three of them. Is he cleaning out his teeth uh, with a twig there? Uh, I, no. <laughs> I remember that book. Of course, not everyone thinks Dad is getting a bum rap. And in my house, there's kind of a stupid husband and father who makes a lot of mistakes and whose wife uh, puts out the fires and loves him nonetheless. Alan and Kirschenbaum is the executive producer of the CBS sitcom Yes, Dear. Come on, I'm your wife, not your mother. I know. So, you want me to lay out some party clothes for Saturday night? <laughs> well, you know, I think, I think it's been a, a long and honored television tradition, at least over the last 20 years, that the fathers tend to be the ones who were screwing things up and causing uh, problems for the mothers who, if the kids would be just left with their mothers, would be just fine. Leave it to Beaver. Still, it wasn't always like this. In the 50s, the father was the all-powerful authority figure. His wife worshipped him, his kids worshipped him. He had the right answer for everything. What kind of kids are you that you let a little rain scare you out? My prediction is these are scattered showers clearing by mid-morning. And then... Can you pause it for a second? No, it's about the end. It's oh, was, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, what I'm what I'm noticing is, and and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but this is sort of similar to some of my some of the problems I have with social justice as a whole, which is they. I think in I think in every bad ideology, there's a kernel of truth that they use to then push this awful awfulness that they attach to it, right? And so. Um, for example, like when I worked in entertainment, which, which was, um, in the aughts, I, yes, I experienced some sexism from people and I'm sure some people experienced racism and then what did tend to be this, um, boys club mentality in some ways. Um, but what they did to correct that, correct that, what they've tried to do to correct that is social justice says, well, it's not bad that people are being treated differently because of sex and, and race. It's just bad who's being treated differently. So we're just going to flip it and go like really far in the other direction, like way too far in the other direction. And I think that's what's happening here because they're sort of pointing out like in the 50s, the father was this ultimate authority figure. And maybe that itself was a stereotype that that wasn't the most accurate portrayal. But instead of just... I don't know, reaching a place of, of, of more equality in the depictions of men and women, um, it went to this other place entirely, which is, okay, now we're going to make the dad the butt of the joke and the mom is the ultimate authority. Am I, does that make sense? No, that makes total sense. Yeah, you're seeing that all the time. You know, they're trying to tear down what they see as a patriarchy and place of a matriarchy. It's not about equality. And, you know, what, to your point, it is a massive overcorrection, what we're seeing. You know, they take, like you said, kernels of truth, you know, like say, you know, racism, like systemic racism has affected black people. I would argue more in the past than it does now, but certainly has been affected in the past. But there's so many other things that factor into the outcomes of many of us blacks that it's impossible to isolate just the effect of systemic racism 
And but they ignore all the other stuff and just make all these equity policies that are meant to, you know, bring blacks up to where whites are, which is kind of racist too when you think about it. When a lot of white people are saying, well, we're the standard that all blacks, you know, need to be measured by in terms of excellence, you know. Just forgetting how you know Asians are you know outdoing white people in terms of averages, in terms of money and uh, test scores and things. But you know, no, let's just ignore them and ignore how they overcame whatever racism they faced in the country. It's just it's it's bad. But yeah, I, I do see like uh, not only is it overcorrection, but I do see in with TV, it's kind of a destruction of idealism because i understand that a lot of the depiction of families in the 1950s and stuff wasn't accurate to what you know families really were but at the same time that's it's entertainment there's a bit of fantasy in it just like with superheroes you know if people were to get powers of spider-man or superman or something most people would become terrible people because most people can't handle power and but it serves a purpose for us as a culture to, to really look up at those uh, archetypes, really, and to strive to kind of be like them. They, they model certain ways of behaving that we kind of take from them. And so I see a lot of the television and movies um, as doing that, even if that's not the intent of what the writers and producers are doing, it's going to have an influence on uh, the way people behave what they think is morally acceptable yeah do you think that it, it's hard for me to separate myself and and try to imagine myself as an outside observer to these sitcoms and they because we grew up with these and so what i'm seeing some of these are the ones i watched and enjoyed like the simpsons yeah he's a buffoon but it's funny i'm laughing you know i loved mary with children i thought it was funny and i know you did too um, but do you think these these had an impact on on just take you and me just an anecdote? Do you think it had an impact on you in the way you viewed fathers? Um, I don't because I had a good father. <laughs> so you know my model of fatherhood and masculinity really comes from my dad. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, if I didn't have a father, you know, if I was you know grew up in inner city Chicago or something like that, um, you know, my ideas of fatherhood and that's going to be all screwed up not just from direct experience but certainly the surrounding culture that doesn't demonstrate what you know fathers um what their actual roles are mm -hmm. do you have other clips that you wanted to play um i did it, we start to get in a little bit to the simpsons if that's if you yeah know. let's do it speaking out uh, so uh Pirate, if you could bring up the uh, see what did I, uh, Simpsons beats the Cosby Show, and this is a short clip from Entertainment Tonight in like 1990, 91 or so, and it kind of demonstrates what was going on at the time because a lot of people forget, or a lot of people who weren't alive don't remember how controversial The Simpsons was at that time when it first came out, and how it started to gain in popularity and started to beat. The Cosby Show and ratings, and uh, it kind of signified a kind of shift from you know that wholesome you know nuclear family, everything's you know all neatly perfect and all that, kind of shift that to a more dysfunctional type of family. And so, uh, I always think it's interesting think about uh, back to those times how 
easily we all kind of forgot that. When it comes to TV ratings, Bart Simpson is no longer an underachiever, and he's proud of it. And that has Bill Cosby scowling on Entertainment Tonight for Friday, October 12th, 1990. Yeah, I love that theme and John Tesh. It's great. You remember this? Yeah. Da, 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 da. Back when they actually talked about shows and not like. Everybody, I'm Gary and I'm John Tesh. The hype has been building for weeks. It was a fight for Thursday nights at 8. In one corner was longtime ratings champion Bill Cosby. In the other, the kid, Bart Simpson. And by the final bell, the kid had made the grave. I know it's asking a lot, but if anyone can do it, you can. The Simpsons prayed for a miracle and got it. In the overnight ratings of 24 major markets, the animated show's season premiere beat out the Cosby show by a small margin. The Simpsons had a gigantic publicity push behind it, which may account for the lead, says John Mandel of Gray Advertising. I don't think there was a child alive that didn't know Simpsons was on and probably defected from Cosby and droves. The Simpsons episode featuring underachiever Bart learning to study defeated the Cosby episode centering on new character cousin Pam. But don't count Cosby out as Betsy Frank of Saatchi and Saatchi. I think that it's too soon to write off the Cosby show. Cosby is still, even in its seventh season, very strong, very strong with a much broader audience than, than The Simpsons. The Simpsons producers oh. have been a tough battle ahead, but they are still very happy, according to co-executive producer Sam Simon. It's just very exciting. Nobody ever thought we could you know, even do what we did last night. It was beyond anyone's uh, wildest expectations. Another kind of reaction to The Simpsons' success comes from Tom Shales of the Washington Post. The Simpsons somehow seems a much more 90s show. The Cosbys we associate yeah. with the 80s, and this is kind of a way of saying goodbye, I guess. Wow. Although, in the 24 key television markets around the country, in the overall national numbers, The Cosby Show edged out The Simpsons by one-tenth of a rating point. Wow, that's 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 a great clip that you found because it, it really is um, illustrative, I think, of the difference in tone between the shows that are known for being like, this is symbolic of the 80s, more of a positive representation, at least the early 80s. And then you have this complete reversal coming in. I love the lady that's like, ah, this isn't going to stick. I know. Because <laughs> the Cosby show only ran for like a couple more years. It ended in, I think, 92. Mm hmm. Yeah, and Simpsons still on. Thirty plus years still on. Incredible. And who watches? We should have a poll. No, can you do polls on this? I can. I'll figure out how to do it while you. Simpsons. Can we get something like that? Yeah. I'm gonna figure out how to do it. You you set up the next clip. Okay. Uh, next clip. So, uh, the Simpsons also received flack from George H. W. Bush at the time who did not like uh, the values it was promoting. So I found a clip, it's about a five minute clip of uh, James L. Brooks, the executive producer of The Simpsons, um, kind of talking about that time and the uh, letter he wrote in response to Barbara Bush, who wrote a letter to uh, Simpsons or said something that, you know, The Simpsons folks didn't like. So go ahead and show that please, thank you. My name is Jim Brooks, one of the co-developers and executive producers of The Simpsons. On October 1st, 1990, uh, George Sr.'s wife 
had a cover story in People magazine. And in it, she said, I love America's funniest home videos, but remains baffled after sampling The Simpsons. It was the dumbest thing I had ever seen, she says, but it's a family thing, and I guess it's clean. So this just happens to us. We, of course, not bothering anybody, keeping to ourselves, being model citizens. And then this article came out, and I decided that we should answer it, and the following letter was sent to the First Lady. Dear First Lady, I recently read your criticism of my family. I was deeply hurt. Heaven knows we're far from perfect, and, if truth be known, maybe just a wee bit short of normal. But as Dr. Seuss says, a person is a person. I try to teach my children, Bart, Lisa, and even little Maggie, always to give somebody the benefit of the doubt and not talk badly about them, even if they're rich. It's hard to get them to understand this advice when the very first lady in the country calls us not only dumb, but the dumbest thing she ever saw. Ma'am, if we're the dumbest thing you ever saw, Washington must be a good deal different than what they teach me at the current events group at the church. I always believe- Can you pause it for a second? We had a great deal in common. Uh, living our life. Okay. Oh, you keep going. You can keep going, pirate. It's almost over. Serve an exceptional man. I hope there is some way out of this controversy. I thought perhaps it would be a good start to just speak my mind. With great respect, Marge Simpson. That letter was sent on September 28, 1990. I liked having to be historical. And on October 9, 1990, I mean, quicker than you and I would send a letter back to somebody, uh, the First Lady of the United States um, sent this reply. Wait, no, 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 pause it. I have to say something about that letter first. That's, that is such crazy uh, branding and marketing. They, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> that is, that is a brand. That is a corporation and an entity, an IP. That is a television show responding to the first lady's criticism of the show as being dumb and she didn't like it or she thought it was a bad portrayal of families, whatever she said. They're responding, the marketing people, the PR people, in the voice of a character. <laughs> yep. And not just writing it from her the character's perspective, but having the voice actor do it as well, which is sort of emotional manipulation in a weird way. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, that, and the sad thing is, it works. Like, I'm listening to it like, yeah, Marge has a point. Yeah. <laughs> 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 just a nice little cartoon lady. Um, yeah, that's so weird. If if I were Barbara Bush, um, I'd probably be like, uh, I'm I'm not responding to a made up character from a television show. <laughs> if well, somebody, she huh? She did respond. Ah, uh, okay. Let's hear what she said. How kind of you to write. I'm glad you spoke your mind. I foolishly didn't know you had one. I'm looking at a picture of you depicted on a plastic cup with your blue hair filled with pink birds peeking out all over. Evidently, you and your charming family, Lisa, Homer, Bart, and Maggie, are camping out. It is a nice family scene. Clearly, you are setting a good example for the rest of the country. Please forgive a loose tongue. Warmly, Barbara Bush. 
P.S. Homer looks like a handsome fella. It seemed that everything was fine. We had sent our own slightly humorous letter. She had sent an almost gracious reply. And the matter was over. Uh, and then George Bush addressed the Convention of Religious Broadcasters in the United States and said this. Well, let me tell you something. We are going to keep on trying to strengthen the American family to make American families a lot more like the Waltons and a lot less like the Simpsons. So we responded at the very top of our very next episode because they had been prompt with their letter to us and we wanted to be prompt. We are going to keep on trying to strengthen the American family. <laughs> families a lot more like the Waltons and a lot less like the Simpsons. Huh? Hey, we're just like the Waltons. We're playing for an end to the Depression, too. <laughs> Bush's was going to be more complicated than anybody thought. For some strange reason, I was invited to a dinner for like 40 or 50 people at which President Bush and the First Lady would be the guest of honors. So I thought we had a connection that we'd shared a joke and you know, that it was sort of fun and that we, in some strange way, I guess we each had given our individual messages out. So they have a receiving line where they had the first lady and George Bush and everybody goes to shake hand with them. And she's a beautiful looking woman, Barbara Bush. She's, you know, everybody's mother. She has that image. You can't help but look at her and love her and feel like an American. So I'm feeling fine. I'm walking towards her and I, you know, and nervous and, you know, giggling like I shouldn't be giggling because it was sort of like, you know, meeting him, meeting her. And she's at the line. And I stop and I say, Mrs. Bush, my name is Jim Brooks. I'm the one involved in the Simpsons thing. Remember we had that exchange and she gave me a drop dead <laughs> withering cold look where, <laughs> and, you know, there's a receiving line where this cold air was just, and we had settled our score with her. husband was still mad at it. So <laughs> it's rough to have people jammed around you as you're, as you're snubbed by the first lady. Wow. Isn't that crazy, though? Again, back in a time when the President of the United States respond to a television show, a fictional television show, because now if a president responds to something, you'll probably be like, you know, Fox News, like, oh, did you see that Fox News report on me? You know, I think Obama probably did that. But, you know, back then, they were so either they were legitimate or they believe that their followers, the constituents, you know, this was more of an issue that the constituents were concerned about. So they decided to speak upon that and uh, you got them responding to a cartoon character. It's, it's, it makes me think of what you showed me last week during the Jurassic Park Michael Crichton episode where we watched the 90s footage of the news footage from the 90s where they were concerned about whether or not it was appropriate to take young children to see Jurassic Park, a PG-13 film. Yeah. And they had that concern about the kids, like, is this good for kids or not? And it's just so foreign in the culture that we live in now, where there's no concern about, there doesn't seem to be a lot of concern in popular culture about protecting kids from, from, from things that may not be age appropriate. In fact, we have in Texas, we've got um, kids being taken to a bar for drag shows where they put dollars in um, adults' g-strings while they dance, sexy dances with sexy phrases on the wall. Like, 
that's happening. So it, we're just so far from that. And so to see that what you're saying, like the, the president and his wife both talking about what might, you know, th there might be deleterious effects from having these, this, um, this portrayal of the family and of, of the father and of children being disrespectful, you know, maybe that's not good for kids to even have them comment on that is so just foreign. I'm not used to that. Our president, our current president does YouTube videos with Cardi B who sings WAP. Right. Didn't he do a Cardi B video? Yeah. Cardi B. Yeah. Perfectly, perfectly uh, good interview. It's, it's really well. <laughs> some uh, intelligent conversation and definitely no editing involved. You turned me on to that. <laughs> you have to watch that. And then you have to watch the uh, one where Maxine Waters um, interviews Meg Thee Stallion, who's the other singer on WAP. And no. Waters is like praising Meg Thee Stallion, saying she's like a uh, model for, for black women. I'm like, you you hate black women, don't you, Maxine? You have to hate black women if you're if you're praising Meg Thee Stallion for being, you know, the, the model of black women. We should do a whole show on that and the Biden Cardi B one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making a note. Beautiful training. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um well thank you. I think those are those are really great. Uh, clips. One of the, one of the things I like that we've been doing on the show is kind of t going back and looking at news footage from the '90s because it just kind of resets your brain of like, oh, this is what culture was concerned about, and and um, this is what the media was concerned about, not changing culture as compared to today and what the media is concerned about is just night and day difference. Yeah, and you know I like examining things in their context and seeing what people were saying about it at the time because now for a variety of reasons and you know one of the big reasons is people of strong political biases are looking back at these things but not to, to be fair in their assessment or their, their analysis of it you know certainly with all the critical theories people are already starting off with a conclusion and working backwards to try to justify that conclusion rather than just saying hmm you know is this true i have a thesis i'm a you know Try to look at evidence, see if it's true. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if it's too soon to play the game that we wanted to play. Oh, we can, we can do that. Since you're feeling under the weather anyway, we don't have to do the whole two hours. We could just get to something fun now. Yeah, let's do that. Is that okay? Something yeah. silly. So you guys... Uh, Chris came up with a new segment that we're going to introduce to the show and we're going to do, uh, we're not going to do it every episode, but we'll pull it out of the hat once in a while. And uh, Anthony's going to do a little theme song for this segment. Um, it's not done yet. So I'll, should I just, I'll just sing it. It's going to be uh, something like, uh, there's a bad tattoo for that. Is <laughs> that right? <laughs> and this is going to be a recurring segment where we take whatever the topic was today and uh chris found out well chris had a hypothesis that he tested and i think it's you found that it's true right that there is a bad tattoo for everything yeah pretty much everything you just type in whatever you're thinking of it in tattoo and some crazy person has it so here are some that i wanted to show you um, 
And I know, I think you were looking up different tattoos than me, so you can show me yours. This, these are pirate. If you could put this on the screen, I just looked up to see if there were any bad father tattoos. And here's what I found. <laughs> Let's scroll down. 12 of the best and worst parents tattoos. Um, can you make this a little larger pirate? Cause you really have to see this. Okay. There we go. Uh, this is a father. <laughs> it looks like he's supposed to be holding a baby's thumb, I think, or the baby's holding his thumb. Anyway, scroll down. You can see what the inspiration was. Oh yeah. See, it's a cute picture, but that's not what the tattoo looks like. Yeah. Pretty bad. <laughs> no. Okay. Keep going. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's like Quasimodo. <laughs> Wait, make this one a little bit larger. That this is for anyone that's just listening. This beautiful child, the picture of the child on the left, and then this dad got the child's face tattooed on his back, and I just, it just didn't. There's something. It's like he looks all wrinkled. It just didn't come out quite right. Okay, scroll down. Yeah, somebody says, oh, he paid for that. Oh. Possessed. No, dads, no. Look, I know you might want to honor your kids with a tattoo, but I think what we're learning here is that portraits are really hard <laughs> to get right. <laughs> This kid looks possessed as well. Like, just no, don't put that. Okay. Yeah, this one. Okay, you got to scroll down a little further, Pirate, so you can see what it's based on. Okay, this, his kid did a drawing, like a doodle of, I think there's a cat there and some money and some hearts, and it's just random scribbles. And this dad got the whole thing tattooed on the side of his. Ribcage. Yeah. He's got to regret that, right? Because no, no kid's going to be that attached to the art that they did when they were like five or six. No. That was like, Dad, I just, the, you kid, know, that yeah. girl's like, I did this in five minutes. Yeah, somebody said, uh, Alan Scott says, put on the fridge, much easier. <laughs> Hi, Deb is here. The reason we learned, she says, this is the stuff of nightmares. Yes, bad tattoos. No, no dads. Okay, what's this one? This is another drawing. I, I didn't know this is a thing. People will get the drawings their kids make. Oh, that's on a mom. This mom got it, the, the kid's doodle on her shoulder. Forever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, this is probably the worst one. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's the baby. Picture of a baby. <laughs> Tattoo. It looks like um, like an aged, maybe mobster grandfather. 
this one i'm not sure i don't know if i'm reading it too fast i'm missing something my son is a soldier in the i think that's another article or what or is that still is this still part of the same it's i guess the same one here's one i mean this one's kind of out of everything on here this yeah. one the soldier one might be the ones that are okay yeah i don't know uh, i don't think it's <laughs> <laughs> Open your mind. Open your mind. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, they said, yeah, the soldier one was misspelled. We just couldn't read it. Yeah. Oh. Okay. This is another um, just misplaced baby tattoo. Like, why on your chest? I just don't, I don't get it. Also, some when you see these portrait tattoos, it, it, the, the placement is also weird sometimes. I, I had a, um, there was this girl I used to work with, this woman. She had a lot, a lot of tattoos. She had two sleeves and like her entire legs. And so, and then she told me she wanted to get her grandparents um, to, to honor them. And so she got these portraits of her grandparents' face, one of her grandfather, one of her grandmother. And they were like this large. They were the size of a, a person's face. And they were each on the inside of her thighs. It was the weirdest. Like, why would you put yeah. <laughs> these portraits of these old people right there? Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. This is a name one with the crayons. It's just, mm, yeah. That's not again. That's not the worst that we see. Though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And then hands. Okay. Uh, these just get worse. Holy <laughs> H5. Yeah. Okay. We can we can stop with my bad parent tattoos one. I think you pulled something up too. Yeah, I don't know how to get how do I I don't know how to get them to you. Oh, text it to me. Oh, oh, uh, can I email? Oh. Yeah, you can email it to me. Actually, and Pirate, I'm sending you the absolute worst, which was not included in that. I don't know why they didn't put it in there, but I'm sending this to you on Telegram, sir, if you can pull this image up. Yeah, I just sent you. It's just some JPEGs. It's like four JPEGs. Okay. Yeah. The reason we learn says, I feel like such a normal parent right now. <laughs> uh, I wanted to do the segment for the Jurassic Park uh, one, but you know we were running a time because uh, there were some funny ones. Uh, there was one of uh, the Dilophosaurus, the, the dinosaur that kills Dennis Nedry, that uh, is holding a gun, pointing it at um, who's the guy who plays Dennis Nedry in Seinfeld, Newman. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> do you see this one this is yeah. uh, this dad got his baby's face Hi. tattooed on his face and the kid looks terrified to be on his face too yeah i don't i don't know why face tattoo is bad jeez 
Okay, I'm trying to send the rest of these to Pirate. So what was the one that you found for Jurassic Park? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there was that one. Um, uh, there was another one of uh, Samuel Jackson saying, hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. There's a couple of raptor ones people having on their thighs, you know, clever girl tattoos. Yeah. Hi, I just don't understand getting a uh, a Jurassic Park tattoo. I mean, I, I don't love any. That's not true. There was a time when I considered getting a Doctor Who tattoo, and I'm very glad that my ex-husband talked me out of it. Oh, what? Would you get of the TARDIS or a particular? It was. I was going to get the tar. Yeah, the TARDIS right here on my arm, which would have been awful if, if you think about <laughs> it, because it's <laughs> it's just like having you know a uh, it's just like having a phone box, like a British phone box on your arm. <laughs> I'm yeah. surprised you weren't considering getting a Golden Girls tattoo. Um, no, I wasn't really watching a lot of the Golden Girls then. This was more. This was in my. Oh, did, did you ever consider getting a tattoo? Uh, like for two seconds, but I'd be like, eh, I'm probably going to regret this when I get older. And how old were you? Um, probably like, I don't know, teenager or 20s, early 20s maybe. But it was, I never really seriously concern, you know, considered it. It's, it's, it's like, what's the, I don't know. It doesn't. And one of the things too, but tattoos don't really look very good on black people, because we can't really get colored tattoos. We just have to get like the black tattoos. Mm -hmm. My opinion, don't look good. Well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this up. Um, mm -hmm. I'm having trouble sending it to pirate, so we oh. might have to wrap here. Oh, uh, well. Um, if we want to end on something funny, um, if. And pirate, if you could bring up the Married with Children uh, video and go to the five-minute mark. I just want to show an example of uh, one of my favorite moments that's not very flattering for <laughs> Bundy's character. But... Okay. You guys, for celebration episode, we're both a little with lower energy tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know that you're under the weather. I don't have an excuse. <laughs> oh, no. Other than I'm tired. <clears throat> yeah. so let's see. Yeah, five minute mark, please. Five minutes, Ted! Jefferson! There we go. All right, Come on! Come on! This is going to be so much fun. I feel like a kid at Christmas. <laughs> yeah, well, get ready to open your present. Five, four, three. What's your difference? <laughs> a little early. Wow. Five minutes, babe. Oh, no, it's not bad. <laughs> Is not the All right, that's it. <laughs> that was always my favorite when they use like a very obvious dummy and just drop it. Yeah, they just drop it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. You know, somebody had a good point about married children, though. Um, Pirate, I think I just emailed those to you, so you might you might actually have them. We might be able to show them. But um, uh, somebody had a good point about married children, which is that at least they, even though they did portray this father as being so cynical and kind of useless and 
jaded, unhappy in his life and didn't have a good relationship with his family, that they were equal opportunity offenders and they were just as cynical in their portrayal of Peggy and the children. So it wasn't it wasn't like it was isolated on him. Correct. Yeah. They all uh, they're all lovable losers in a sense, you know. Al was kind of emasculated, uh blood couldn't get laid, uh Kelly was dumb and slutty, you know, Peg was just a nag that didn't do anything. So yeah, they all had their flaws, but you know, they were all characters you still liked. And you still got the sense that they all deep down do care for each other despite them constantly, you know, making fun of each other. Mm -hmm. so, you know, there was an episode where, you know, Al goes to the back of his car and pulls out a, a photo of, you know, him and his family and that's how the episode ends. Like everyone's going, oh, on the audience and stuff. So you got the sense that, you know, there still was love between them despite them kind of hating each other too at the same time. Here we go. Yeah. What is this? Yeah. Can you, do you know who that is? Who's this supposed to be? <laughs> Wait, is that the Full House guy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wait, go back. Uh, that's what's his face who just passed away, isn't it? Bob Saget. Yeah. Bob Saget. That's a terrible yeah. tattoo. <laughs> it's like, this, this, which is worse, getting a very bad, badly, poorly executed tattoo of your own child or your own father, or getting a bad tattoo of a TV sitcom father. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's see what's the next one. <laughs> <Who's that? laughs> <laughs> Whoever did this one had a, a sense of humor. It's just a very permanent sense of humor. Like this person yeah. went a long way for the troll. Like they're like, oh, yeah. they're gonna do a tattoo. Uh, this is Bill Cosby's face melting off of a pudding pop. <laughs> <laughs> very disturbing. Still. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my. And another one. What is this? I, I don't know. <laughs> Why did you pull it up? <laughs> Do you know who it is? Can you tell? No, th no, that's what I mean. I don't know who it is. Oh, it's Homer. Oh, it's a like a baby Homer. Yeah, look how weird that is. They got the little Japanese bag. I, I thought maybe at first it was supposed to be Mr. Sparkle, but the eyes don't match like doing the bag. So I don't, I don't know what this is or why it exists. <laughs> it just creeps me out. Oh, it's so creepy. You know what it reminds <laughs> me of? Um, yeah. When I was living in LA, there was this whole, uh, what did they call it? It was this, um, this trend, this wave of art that was being done. I think. I think one of the artists was named Mark Ryder. Does that sound familiar? I'm looking at Ryden, Mark Ryden. Does everybody remember this guy? He did the Beat Train, the Magic Circus. And there were a bunch of other artists like him at the same time. And they were all sort of these um, psychedelic but childlike portraits that had, I think they were influenced a lot by, as you said, anime. Oh, it was the lowbrow art scene is what they called it. 
Anyway, this looks like somebody who decided, who liked lowbrow art and decided to do a Homer version. Yeah. Weird. And then one other. Who's that? I can't see it. Is there one up there now? Yeah. Can you see it now? Are you still not seeing it? Oh, I'm looking at the screen. Duh. Uh oh. Uh is that Al Bundy? Yeah. But it's supposed to be Al Bundy? Yeah, that's supposed to be Al Bundy. Yeah, again, I don't understand why. Might as well get a Tweety Bird. Like, what is <laughs> what is it? <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> it's just a bad choice. <laughs> Somebody said bad life choice. What uh, you call the, bad life choices? Look at the chat. Somebody said Young Jay Leno. <laughs> CJ said Ed Gein trained by Al Bundy Deb got it people got it yeah well I was like looking at the wrong thing uh yeah I'm just looking to see people oh, people people seem to get the Homer one way before I did yeah. pirate said he thought he thought it was Anthony Cumia. <laughs> <laughs> I think when you have to ex explain who your tattoo is when it's a specific person and it's not supposed to be a well-known person, you fa it failed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the creep. This is we've gone completely off the father subject now, but one of the creepiest ones I've seen of a person was um, that guy from SNL, Pete Davidson. He has a tattoo of Hillary Clinton. Oh, I think I heard about that. Yeah, it's huh. it's pretty terrible, Chris. <laughs> Why would you get a? I, I've, uh, like even if you're like a hardcore Democrat, like why her? I, I don't like, know. You don't want to get like JFK or something. It. I guess it's because that's the person that there. There it is. <laughs> this is Pete wow. Davidson's tattoo. <laughs> Of Hillary Clinton. This might be the saddest tattoo. Why? I've ever, yeah. I mean, you, he may as well just get tattooed on there. Like, I have a personality disorder. <laughs> yeah, she does. Yeah. Maybe this is just so he'll never be added to the body count. So I say, hey, okay. I'm supportive of yours. Okay, sir. Thank you for a good night. I hope you feel better soon. Um, Thank you. Everyone, if you are on Twitter, you can follow Mr. Chris. Um, put that back up, Pirate. I didn't get to read it. You can go ahead and put it back up. Um, but uh, you can follow him at MC Mystery Chris and encourage him to tweet more and, and, and wish him well and that he feels better soon. And again, Thank you guys all for hanging out with us tonight. And um, here it is from Pirate Tomsky. He gives a super chat. He says, open question for chat. When was the last time you heard a positive song about fathers in the past 10 years? 
Can you think of any? No. <laughs> um, the first one that came to mind for me is a country song, you know? I know you don't know. George Strait, Love Without End, Amen. You know that song? No. Nope. Yeah. That's a good song. It's probably, I don't know if I've heard a song, a good song about fathers since then. Um, what was that? Um, oh gosh, that was probably the 90s. Yeah. A Love Without End, Amen. Everybody look that song up tonight for Father's Day. It's a good song. Is there anything country music? Yeah, everybody say country. Your microphone is getting fuzzy now, so we're ending at a good time. Oh, oh it's mirroring my, my lungs right now. Oh, yeah. It's getting real fuzzy. <laughs> yeah, Chad Davis says that song is 25 years old. Okay, guys. Thank you for hanging out with us tonight. Um, tomorrow, there's going to be a deprogrammed interview with Mary Lou Singleton. And I'm very excited about this one. Um, Mary Lou is a midwife and spent most of her life in the on the left. And she has her own story of what it was like sort of being canceled from the midwifery community when she objected to them uh, changing the guidelines for all midwives and telling them that, that they could not use the words mother or woman anymore. <laughs> Um, so please tune in for that tomorrow. I, I love Mary Lou. I got to do an event with her last week called Women Leaving the Left. It was awesome. We had to do more of those events and um, I will be putting the video of our panel up as soon as I get it. So I'll put it on this channel so people can see it. But thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. It's all fuzzy. I can't hear you. Oh no. <laughs> I love your hat. Okay. <laughs> Have a good night. Bye.